Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. ADH-TV, I'm David Flint. The program has saved the nation and uh, it's produced by Charlie Noble. My guest today is Lincoln Parker. Welcome, Lincoln. G'day, David. You've had over 20 years' experience in government and uh, defence and uh, research and technology, and you chair the Defence and National Security Policy Branch of the Liberal Party of Australia. And uh, you've worked for the Australian government and its consulates in America. You've contributed regularly in domestic and uh, international publications, and uh, you've appeared regularly on Sky News, and I've heard you myself on 2GB. So you have been very busy in the area, so you really are obviously an expert in the area. Uh, can I ask you with a basic question, which no doubt everybody wants to know, are we headed for war? It's a big question, David. Um, and you've got to look at the state of the world right now and indeed the state of the Asia-Pacific and the Indo-Pacific and you have to come to the conclusion that we may well be headed for a world war and a bigger question really then becomes is, is Australia prepared or are we underprepared and is the government recognising this? Has the government recognised this in the first instance? Have they recognised it now? And if so, are they doing anything whatsoever in order to prepare and protect our nation and protect our national interests and our trade, etc. Um, I think to go back to your first question, the world has not been in as dangerous place as it is since certainly probably World War II or perhaps at the height of the Cold War uh, between the Free West and the Soviet Union and its acolytes. Um, Does, yeah, go ahead. Is, is the situation in uh, in the Ukraine and in the Middle East? Does that will that encourage, particularly with the fact that the American leadership is, seems to be not very strong at the moment, and America is about to enter into an election period? Would this be the ideal time, do you think, for Beijing 
to advance its interests in relation to Taiwan, one would tend to think that uh, there would be some, some suggestion there that perhaps this is the time to move. You're exactly right, David. And look, China has form in this area um, in the past. So if we look at the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, where the Soviet Union was trying to place missiles in Cuba and the then President John F. Kennedy was dealing with that crisis, um, you know, the world and indeed particularly the United States was very distracted from that. Um, China used that distraction and invaded India. So they've done it before, and you could argue that the world is even more distracted now than it was in 1962. We have a major ground war in Europe between Russia and Ukraine, and let's not forget that Russia is China's no-limits partner, and President Putin and other Dictators are in Beijing right now for President Xi Jinping's um, signature 10th anniversary of his Belt and Road Initiative. Then, you know, we've just seen over the past week, we have um, Hamas terrorists and Islamic Jihad brutally attacking and killing a number of Israeli civilians, by and large, mostly civilians, which began with, you know, an attack um, on an outdoor music festival with a number of teenagers. In fact, the death toll was over 260 teenage civilians being killed um, and a number of more captured. Um, this regional war now in the Middle East looks like it could very well expand. You've got Hezbollah terrorists up in the north of Israel, well, north of Israel in Lebanon, and they're backed by Iran, just as Hamas is backed by Iran. Um, you've got Syria um, doing their saber rattling. And you have, of course, Iran itself, um, who are the primary benefactors and funders of all of the terrorist activity that we see in the Middle East. And let's just step back again. I mentioned Russia and China's relationship. Let's step back and have a look at who is Iran's largest funding source? Well, it happens to be China. China buys um, the majority of Iran's sanctioned oil. So to enable Iran to get around the international sanctions on their oil, and China buys it and buys it at a discount. And therefore, you know, a lot of funding is coming in from Iran by China. And you know, we see the anti-Israeli statements coming out from China as well. So it's very, the, the battle lines are drawn very clearly if you just want to take a look at them. And it seems Australia does not wish to take a look at what is going on in the world. I'm not quite sure what our Foreign Minister Penny Wong is doing. I'm not quite sure what our Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is doing other than dividing and weakening our country instead of Australia being cohesive, which is exactly what we need to be in this dangerous um, period, um, the government has achieved the exact opposite, uh, which is a shame. And, um, you know, certainly in my lifetime, and you can reflect back on your lifetime, but I've, I've not seen a more destructive government, a more divisive government, um, which, is a, which is a real shame. That's not generally what 
you do when you elect a government. Um, and so, yeah, look, things are dire. And I think we, we need to wake up and we need to take stock and we need to start preparing. I think you're right. There is obviously clear evidence of a Beijing-Moscow-Tehran axis. They seem to be working together. And it does seem that the government is not very much concerned by what is going on in the world, a wish to divide us. What I found extraordinary was that uh, in the very first attempt to do something about the gap, that is the resolution brought by Senator Price, to have an audit as to what's going on, to have an inquiry into the sexual abuse of children, all matters directly relating to the gap, this was immediately rejected without great discussion by the government and its acolytes in the Senate. I found that extraordinary. It demonstrated, I thought, that uh, this voice had nothing to do with closing the gap. I would agree with you, and I think a great many Australians would agree with you indeed. How can you not want to investigate child sexual abuse? How can you not want to investigate where the many billions of dollars per annum, and we've seen estimates between 30 and $40 billion per annum, so every year flowing into various Aboriginal agencies and groups and corporations, which may well be fine, but why don't we know where that money is going and why is that money not flowing into those Aboriginal communities where we see on the nightly news where they're, they're not getting health care, they're not getting education, there's rampant sexual abuse. Where's that? I mean, that is almost as much money as the Australian Defence Force receives on an annual basis. So... Where's that money going and why don't why can't we know where taxpayer dollars is going and why can't we then make a decision on, well, okay, it seems that it, it's not being uh, appropriately used, um, this taxpayer dollars, and let's get it to the Aboriginal communities where it can make the most difference. So I think we're seeing a pattern here, David, of malfeasance uh, where, where this government is not protecting Australia. It's not doing the right thing by Australians, certainly not by Aboriginal Australians. Um, we've also seen, if we just switch back to the national security front, um, you know, Solomon Islands, which is just off Australia's northeast coast, is certainly now well within China's orbit. Um, our I don't know where our aid is going in the Solomon Islands, but it is not, and, and whatever strategy Penny Wong has there has failed. Um, you'll remember prior to the last election, Albo and Penny Wong said, well, uh, you know, the adults are in the room and we're going to get back in charge and we're going to do what Labor does in foreign policy and all of, well, they've done nothing. And in fact, they've made it worse, just like, you know, we're talking about now on, on other social issues. Um, it, it is a disaster and it is not time for us. We, we don't have the luxury of, of being able to have a disastrous government right now and um, something has to change. To, to an extent, a lot of our problems relate to the military growth of Beijing. And uh, 
a lot of that is a result of uh, decisions taken by American administrations, particularly the Carter administration and also the Clinton administration. They seem to ignore completely the fact that uh, the currency was being manipulated, wage rates in China were extraordinarily low, the, the, the treatment of the, those who work in China was absolutely appalling and uh, intellectual property was being stolen openly or pressure being put on corporations to hand it over. To what extent must the West be to blame for the rise of military China? The, the argument was obviously, oh, if, if they become more capitalist, they will become more like us. But the fact is that hasn't happened. That was completely wrong. It was a very risky gamble taken by American administrations, was it not? It was. And I think that's a smokescreen for saying, well, we're going to move manufacturing out of our countries into a low-cost um, slave labour country and we're going to make millions doing it. And that's certainly what happened in the United States, um, Europe and, and even Australia, where we don't, manufacturing any, we don't manufacture anything, we don't make anything anymore. I mean, Australia, you'd well remember, Australia used to manufacture even aeroplanes going back to the 40s and we, we made automobiles and, you know, cars and trucks and things like that. I mean, now we'd be lucky to make um, paper straws. Um, <laughs> so, yes, we have, you could look at it two ways. We are responsible for the China that we see today. We are responsible for China um, building up and being the most aggressive authoritarian country the world has seen in a very long time. Um, but uh, on the flip side, we're also responsible for making China very rich. Um, so it's been their accession into the World Trade Organization, none of the rules of which they abide by themselves, of course. Um, and of course, we'll slap tariffs, you know, use uh, trade war and, and, and lawfare and, and hostage diplomacy whenever it suits them. Um, so yeah, we're, we're indeed responsible, but we're also now responsible for fixing the mess that we created. Uh, we're responsible for our own people. We're responsible for keeping our nation safe. We're responsible for keeping the democracy that many Australians spilt their blood and spent their fortune on either defending and, and building over the last 230 years into being the most kind and generous country on the planet. We're responsible for maintaining that, not just for ourselves, but for our children and our grandchildren and for the many millions of immigrants that we will receive into our open arms, no doubt, in the future. We're responsible for that. And the Australian government is doing the exact opposite to what they should be doing. They are hurting our country. They are hurting our future generation, current generation, let alone future generations. They're dividing our country. They're making our country weaker. They are taking money out of our defence budget instead of putting it in like they said they would. I work in this sector. I see it. And it is a disgrace. And we need to open up the public's minds and tell them the truth so that they can see what's happening around the world, so that they can see what is happening in our own country, in our own defence forces, on our own doorstep, whether it be Solomon Islands or whether it be Timor-Leste, which is directly to our north that have just signed a comprehensive strategic partnership with the People's Republic of China. We are being surrounded, and this is not the time 
to now be going into some new treaty or some other distraction that the Albanese Labor government, along with his mates in the Greens and the Teals, are trying to do and just completely further weaken Australia and what we are and, and who we want to be. It's a great shame. I think you are so right to refer back to our history as an international good citizen because we have a, a very interesting record, a remarkable record in terms of our involvement in getting, getting uh, or trying to fight for the liberty and the freedom of other countries. And you need only compare our history with that, for example, of a number of South American countries, for example, Argentina. And there's no, I'm not criticizing Argentina, but our international record is so different from so many other countries. One of the, one of the really exciting things I thought which occurred in recent years, was the AUKUS agreement. Who was the architect of AUKUS? Whom can we thank for that? Well, we can thank the former Liberal government and the former um, Republican government in the United States under Donald Trump for AUKUS, and we can thank the Labor Albanese Wong Miles government for crab walking away from it because AUKUS is a shambles as it stands right now. Um, there has been no preparatory. You, you're seeing a trend here in, in, in what I'm talking about. This government has done no preparatory work um, in order for Australia to be upskilled and prepared with the right infrastructure, the right people, the right training, the right facilities for a nuclear-powered submarine to be op or submarines to be operated out of Australia. Nothing, and I mean nothing. There's been a little bit of training over in the United States, but, but it, you know, I think we've had three sailors that have graduated, three. Um, <laughs> so it, what people need to understand is that AUKUS will be signed off by the United States Congress, not by the White House, not by the State Department, not by ALBO or Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles. It'll have to be signed off and approved by the United States Congress. Now, if the United States Congress looks at Australia and says, you have not done what you said you would do, you have not adequately prepared, you are in no position to operate a nuclear-powered infrastructure, to operate nuclear-powered submarines in your country, you're not getting them. And by the way, we need them ourselves and you haven't come to the party in trying to solve any of the problems that we've been discussing for many years. So to me, it seems Labor Party have never ideologically do not like defence. They aren't really, uh, you know, the biggest supporters of the United States, if we're to be frank. Um, they uh, would love to see AUKUS go away um, and, and blame it on somebody else. And we see the likes of Kevin Rudd sort of making, saying, oh, why is an AUKUS happening and trying to blame it on the Americans when the blame rests squarely on us because this government has done nothing to prepare for it. Um, as Greg Sheridan said in The Australian, they have not even turned one sod of earth in the uh, Western Australian submarine base that we currently have to upgrade the facilities there and prepare and nor has there even been any movement whatsoever on an East Coast submarine base. So I do not, under this government, I do not hold out very good hope for AUKUS happening 
in, in any reliable timeline and is just another example of this Labor government letting Australia down. The treaty seemed to be very important in, between ourselves and not only the United States but the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom being clearly the country in Europe most interested in, in us and the relationships with us. Given that uh, even if a government were expeditious in relation to the building of nuclear submarines here, should there not be some attempt to encourage either the British or the Americans or both to base or to have regular visits from uh, their submarine fleets? Well, sure, but you still need the infrastructure, even if you've got a visiting <laughs> nuclear-powered submarine, especially if they're going to base it here, you need to upgrade the infrastructure. And there's a pathway to do that. This is nothing new. So if you look at the Japanese port of Yokosuka, they did exactly that uh, a number of years ago where, when they needed to um, host and base US nuclear-powered vessels. Um, so the United States Navy, Navy reactors, went to them with a, uh, you know, a step, a, sh a sheet, a step list of things that they needed to do to upgrade their facilities, and the Japanese did it. And, you know, it's not, this is not uh, unknown. So we know what to do. We, our government's just not funding it and just not doing it. Um, but, uh, but unless you do those things, no, you can't base um, US Navy or British Navy submarines out of Australia because we don't have the facilities and the capabilities and the infrastructure in order to base those foreign submarines here. It's a mess. Is, is the suggestion that um, New Zealand enter AUKUS a serious suggestion given her previous nuclear history, which seemed to be bipartisan? Well, it seems they want to enter AUKUS Pillar 2, which is more about the uh, technology and in defence innovation uh, part of AUKUS. And, you know, that's fine. I mean, look, I would encourage New Zealand to do everything in their power uh, to look after their own defence, to invest in their own defence and security, just as I would Australia. Um, for all intents and purposes, you could make the argument that New Zealand has been freeloading off uh, Australia's security. And, you know, look, when it comes down to it, Australia is essentially going to have to rely on the United States if we come under uh, coercion or attack or if we wish to defend ourselves uh, if and when China invades and takes Taiwan and which will embroil the Pacific theatre into uh, essentially conflict and war. Um, we will not be able to sit on the sidelines of that conflict if we wish to remain free, and I, and I mean have our own free decisions without any coercion from China, um, which I think most Australians would agree with. I certainly would agree with, and I think... Um, I would not want to see us go down the, the route of where we give up the United States and the Pax Americana, the freedom that we have in making our own decisions, our own sovereign decisions, and be under the thumb and have to kowtow and be a vassal state to communist China, because that is not going to be a good ending for Australia. After what happened in Afghanistan and uh, the way in which the administration released funds 
to Tehran just before the attack on Israel. Can we rely on the current administration in the United States? Uh, look, I will hope so. Um, you would think that the relationship between the United States and Australia transcends whomever is in the White House. Uh, we have very good will between our two nations. We have very good will between our two peoples. You only have to travel to the United States to see, um, you know, how much interest and um, camaraderie there are between Australians and Americans particularly the older generation of Americans who have fought alongside Australians. I have my own family members that fought alongside Americans. We've, we have been shoulder to shoulder with them um, essentially since World War One. We fought with them in World War Two, of course, here when they saved our bacon in World War Two against Imperial Japan. Uh, we, we fought with them in Korea against the North Koreans and the Chinese and in Vietnam. Um, and countless other conflicts across the Middle East as well. So I would hope that um, this administration um, and whoever is in the next administration, and my hope is that it's a Republican, um, which should be no surprise to everybody as I'm a Liberal Party member and our sister organisation are the Republicans. I would remind uh, our Liberal Party members too of that. Um, so I, I fervently hope that is the case. But nonetheless, I would take a leaf out of um, former uh, Major General Jim Mullen and former Senator Jim Mullen's book where he says, look, it's in Australia's best interest to be able to defend ourselves. And that is absolutely correct. We should be doing everything we can in order to prepare ourselves um, and be the best ally that we can be. Now, that doesn't help when we have a tiny Australian Defence Force. It is very small. Um, we're able to deploy about five to 6,000 combat-focused soldiers. Um, when you look at that, that is incredibly small. I'll give you an example, David. Israel mobilised 300,000 reserves in under 48 hours um, after Hamas made their attacks. 300,000. Um, as I said, we've got about a combat-focused force of about five to 6,000. Yeah, you know, th th this is not the time to be divided and 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 focused on um, you know, things like the voice, which no one really understood and was undemocratic, and uh, all those sorts of things. So, um, yes, to answer your question, yes, I think the United States will be there for us. Uh, Greg Sheridan seems to suggest in his columns that we are effectively without the United States. We are defenceless. Is, is it that bad? Depends on who's attacking us, David. <laughs> I think if New Zealand if New Zealand was to launch an attack on us, we might be able to beat them off. Um, if it's if it's uh, uh, you know if it's China, we're going to need the Americans' help. Um, if China goes into Taiwan, the the war won't just be with Taiwan; it'll be more regional, and. It's also a matter of do we want to stand up for ourselves? Do we want to maintain our values? Do we want to maintain our democracy 
because you will have a lot of people in the Labor Party and the Teals and the Greens who say, no, we should not fight, we should not stand up, we should just give in to the Chinese and they'll, they will treat us just fine. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. We will become a vassal state. We have seen how China treats its own people. We have seen what they do to their substantial Muslim Uyghur population. We've seen what they just did to Hong Kong. Let's not forget how they absolutely crushed democracy and anybody that stood up to them in Hong Kong. They wanted, and, and, and Tibet, we saw what they've done in Tibet, and now we're going to see what they're doing in, uh, well, we'll see what they do to Taiwan. They support people, uh, ruthless dictators like Vladimir Putin and Russia. They support Iran. So is really, is, is, is China really where we want to be aligned? Taiwan has a very strong defence system, does it not? Uh, I wouldn't characterise it as being very strong. I would say that they have taken moves to uh, defend themselves as best they can, given the size of their population is roughly the same size as Australia's. They um, are an island, of course. They are mountainous, so there's certain things that they can do to try and repel an invasion. But the might of China's People's Liberation Army and Air Force and um, and Navy is massive. Uh, you know, as you know, it is mm. huge. So uh, they won't be able to stand out if um, without allies coming to their aid. No, no chance in hell. How, how reliable, from the point of view of the Beijing government, how reliable are their armed forces? Well, they're pretty reliable. Um, you've seen Xi Jinping is a ruthless dictator. Whenever he comes across uh, what he may even determine is someone that is dissenting, you'll see that they get disappeared. And that even happened to their last foreign minister. Mm. He, he just disappeared. Um, you know, he'll disappear anybody. He'll disappear an Australian journalist like he did for three years recently, um, you know, where she was held in captivity with with no access to the outside world, no fresh air. Uh, the lights were never turned off. Um, she could barely stand in a cell. So he, he'll do, he, he'll just remove anybody that he even slightly thinks is against him. So, yeah, look, I wouldn't underestimate China's armed forces, not for a second. Well, if the United States supports Taiwan if Taiwan is attacked. You believe that we should support the United States? Indeed I do. For the reasons I outlined before, we cannot enable the march of China's communism and China's thumb on the world to continue if we want to remain a free, open, sovereign uh, society where we make decisions for ourselves and where we do not have an overlord like China uh, who will completely change our way of life and completely change the structure and the values of, the, of this society that we have built up over the last 230 years, which happens to be a very fair, open, honest, uh, welcoming and generous society. I, I think most Australians would agree with that. I hope they do. Um, and I hope that they're not under any illusions that suddenly China, Chinese Communist Party would become some benevolent, loving uh, benefactor that will cheat, treat Australia and leave us alone. <laughs> that is 
absolutely BS um, and the proof is in the pudding. We can see exactly what they've done to other countries and their own people, their own provinces and uh, worldwide. So do not be under any illusions if you, uh, you think that China will be uh, like the United States has been to the world for the last 70 or 80 years. We can be sure, I would expect, that if there were an attack, there would be significant voices in Australia calling on us to be neutral. For example, I would expect from what he has said so far, Paul Keating and Bob Carr would be people who would be saying that. Will, will they form a significant group in Australia? Will they, for example, if a Labor government is in power, will they be sufficiently powerful to affect that Labor government? For example, if there were a, a national conference of the Labor Party, I would have no doubt that the Labor Party would come down, that conference would come down in favour of neutrality. Do, do you foresee that sort of situation arising? I think there's no doubt. Uh, Paul Keating, Bob Carr have made their positions very well known. You can find it on a sim simple Google search. And it's not just Paul Keating and Bob Carr. Um, you've got the likes of our, you know, our good friend, Premier, former Premier Daniel Andrews, of the state of Victoria. Mm -hmm. You've got a number, you've got a very strong faction within the Labor Party that is pro-communist China. Let there be no doubt about that. It is no secret. And so they will definitely call for neutrality and they will use every influence operation that is provided by them or provided to them, um, potentially by the Chinese themselves, in order to make that argument, in order to fund that argument. Um, let there be no doubt about that. That's exactly what they will do. And many of these former Labor politicians are already and have been on China's payroll. Uh, you know, they sit on China, on the boards of Chinese organisations. And um, <laughs> it's their ideology, after all. They're, they're far closer to a communist socialist ideology than they are to an open freedom of the individual ideology that, you know, we uh, certainly... Uh, in the West and, and the United States um, have fought for uh, for our whole lives. Well, Paul Keating himself in his uh, lecture at La Trobe, which I've read, ends it by saying that uh, there's been no better government in the world in the, the last several years than that of the People's Republic of China, the best government in the world. And, I found that extraordinary that that would come from a former prime minister. You might admire the, the advances made in terms of military strength by China, but uh, you cer I, don't, I certainly would not expect an Australian prime minister to give it the, uh, that sort of uh, approval. I think that's a shameful thing to say um, from the former prime minister the Labor Prime Minister Paul Keating, when all you have to do is look at the carnage that the Chinese Communist Party has undertaken, not only, well, on their own people, on the Muslim Uyghurs that I mentioned before, yes. and, and this is all open source uh, known facts on the ground. We know 
what the Chinese Communist Party has done to its own people. It's very well known from the Cultural Revolution under Mao through to the crushing of Tibet, um, through to the, you know, the slaughter and imprisonment of their, their Uyghur population, to their attacks on India, to their complete suppression of Hong Kong. Uh, how any Western Democratic and former Australian Prime Minister could say that is beyond me. It really gives you a glimpse into the Labor Party. I fear that Anthony Albanese and Penny Wong seem to be no different because they're not doing anything to prepare Australia. Um, they're enabling us to be surrounded. They are keeping quiet on anything to do with China and their backing of, of uh, Iran and their backing of Russia. They're not saying anything. And, of course, Albo wants to go over to China soon this year to celebrate you know, his patron saint, Gough Whitlam's 50th anniversary tour to China. Um, I just really don't understand this government uh, and I fear for Australia under this government. And to that list of people, of uh, groups that were victims of the communist government, you could add the Falun Gong who have been treated no. uh, appallingly by the communists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, we are in a poor situation. Uh, do you think that the, of what armed forces we have, do you think that their morale has been seriously damaged, not only by the present government, but uh, actions of previous governments? Um, yeah, I think so in a sense that, well, let's look at the retention. Um, the ADF is losing far more soldiers every year than they are recruiting. So the ADF is shrinking. Um, now, does that mean that the morale of the men and women that are in uniform currently is low? Uh, probably not. No, I think we have very good, dedicated young men and women in uniform that will that do their job every day and that will do the job that their government, um, which unfortunately whichever government um, they're under, asks of them. And we should salute that. We should honour them. Um, we should honour our veterans absolutely every day. Um, however, uh is the government and the Department of Defence doing enough to recruit? Absolutely not. Are we doing enough to retain? No, because the facts are there um, that we are losing far more than we are than we are gaining every single year, uh, and that is not a good trend line. And why aren't we doing more on that point to address it? Um, again, this is another failure of the government. We could look at, and, and I've spoken about this for a number of years on various media outlets, including Sky and, and 2GB, where um, the there are solutions and we just refuse to look at them, um, particularly in Scandinavian countries where you have a voluntary national security uh, national and Community Service Scheme. Um, so, again, it's voluntary. Um, if you young, you know, youth from the age of, you know, 17 through 
through, say, their mid-20s can do a period of time, whether that be a year or two years, what have you, um, they can go and, and to the armed services if they, if they choose. If they choose not to go into the armed services, they can go into, say, the fireys or, you know, the, the emergency services, the AMBOs or aged care or work in their community, do something to give back and give, the, give our youth a sense of national belonging and national community spirit whilst at the same time helping with recruitment, helping in our armed services, helping with retention and not calling out the ADF every time we have a flood or a fire, which happens in Australia every year, um, because that is also a big problem. Now, interestingly, David, what we've seen from these studies, um, in, particularly in, in countries that have voluntary schemes, is that they are oversubscribed, oversubscribed. And that is because it turns out that young people want to do this. It turns out that employers seem to preference people that have done this voluntary scheme above those that haven't. <laughs> um, and it turns out that the benefits that young people get from being involved in their community in, in, in whatever fashion they choose, whether, as I said, whether it be in emergency services or whatever, or, or the Army, Navy or Air Force, is it turns out that they actually enjoy it. Why are we not having this conversation in, a, in the times where we absolutely need to bolster our defence forces, uh, stop putting them in, uh, calling them out whenever there's a, a fire or a flood is beyond me. We should at least start having that conversation. And, and again, I'd like to stress for all the haters out there, and you probably get a lot of messages, it's voluntary. We should have it voluntary. We had national service before, uh, as you well remember, probably uh, in the 60s and 70s. Yes. Um, and we've looked at the polling. <laughs> It was actually uh, it was approved by around seventy percent of the of the nation um, supported that policy. Now we're not even you know there's a lot of people in Australia, and I've worked with with professors in ANU on this, for instance. Um, the the act of voluntary um, schemes actually work better. So if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Yes. Uh, do you think, uh, getting back to the question of morale, when uh, we have investigated alleged war crimes, particularly in Afghanistan, the way in which that has been reported and the actions taken in relation to that have been too far assuming guilt? Yes. So... I think we need to preface and uh, any discussion on this that we expect uh, the uh, ADF men and women and, and our soldiers to abide by the Geneva Conventions and international law. Now, having said that, um, should we always treat our ADF um, with the presumption of innocence? Yes. Every time um, they go out and they undertake the most difficult job that Australia can ever ask a citizen to do, and we know that. Going out and defending our country is against someone that's trying to kill you is 
Not easy. You can ask policemen who policemen and women who put their lives on the on the line every day just how difficult that is and just how much anxiety they have and how much anxiety their families have that will dad or mum come back home at the end of the day. So should we be treating on first principles every ADF member and indeed every policeman and woman um, with the presumptions of innocence? Absolutely. Should we be giving them the benefit of the doubt from the very get-go? Absolutely. So where that is not done then shame on the system for not doing that. Well, yes, I, I would agree. Now, uh, if, if uh, getting back to the Taiwanese, if the situation there arose, not only could we expect that a significant part of the political establishment would call for neutrality, what would be the position do you expect in relation to parts of the media, for example, the ABC? Would the ABC be taking a, an opinion-making position or would it be merely reporting it? And how would the rest of the media go, do you expect, if there were such a situation in Taiwan? Well, I don't think it's any surprise that the ABC would take the extreme left opinion and they'd be reporting on the extreme left opinion um, just as they have done... Yeah, you know, for the last you know, number of decades, and just as they they have done recently with regard to the Hamas attacks on Israel, you suddenly see that the ABC has far more Palestinian um, supporting guests than you have uh, Israel supporting guests um, by a long shot. So, yeah, look, I don't think it's going to be any surprise to anybody, um, in a, particularly in Australia, what position the ABC would take. Um, they're, a, they're an extreme left organisation and that's, that's just the truth. We know it's the truth. The truth's there to see. You can see it in their reporting. You can see it in the, the way they report things, the things they don't report um, and the opinions that they provide. Um, that's just become a fact of life. Um, it's an unfortunate fact of life that, that, that they are not fair and balanced. Um, they do not provide uh, equality um, and diversity of opinion at all. Should and, a future Liberal government uh, do something about that, do you think? Of course they should. <laughs> I mean, their charter says that they should be fair and balanced and provide diversity of opinion. They don't do that. And so why don't they do that? And well, why is that, why is that not fixed? Um, you know, let's, let's just be real with the Australian people and say, look, everybody knows you are a left-wing organisation. Fine. I, we get it. So therefore, we are going to take X amount of the, the, the opinion and news time and outsource it or, or provide a, an opposite perspective. Do that so Australians can make up their own minds. They can say, okay, well, here we have your, your, your normal ABC viewing and here we have a, a diverse opinion um, that is opposite to that. Even uh, Bob Hawke. Even Bob Hawke was irritated with the ABC for these reasons and... His solution was to make them subject 
in the final analysis to decisions by uh, the broadcasting authority. It didn't, uh, it didn't yeah. make, make a great difference. Uh, getting back to Israel, in many ways, Israel is a model for self-defense, but what has surprised everyone is the fact that uh, they were ignorant, that their, their intelligence was completely ignorant of uh, what was about to happen. Has any reason been given for this break? It's a serious breakdown, obviously. And uh, has there any, any uh, explanation been offered for the reason for this? Yeah, so I've, I've seen that argument come out as well. And I've spoken with a number of friends of mine, um, former US Marines, for instance, on this. And look, the enemy, Hamas, is they're a wily, smart, cunning, sly uh, organization. Um, they're aware of where Israel is patrolling. They're aware of where Israel has surveillance. They, it has re been reported that all of their communication was, was uh, via Chinese systems, so that would be Huawei devices um, and, you know, uh, Baidu and the Chinese satellite constellations, so they kept completely off anything that was Western or American or European. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's, they have the Gaza Strip They're pretty much to themselves um, uh, and they were able to, to plan. They, they get a lot of funding, uh, which they don't use for their own people. Um, they they have their own bomb-making factories and missile-making factories and weapons, et cetera, under a sort of a subsidy. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I mean, this is the history of, of conflict. Um, this is the history of war. Um, humans are good at getting around surveillance. They, they're, they're good at this sort of stuff, and that's what happened with the Israelis. They thought they were watching them, and they were. But these guys, you know, they, they busted through various points of the, of the wall. They, they got into those uh, gliders um, and they caused havoc. And, they, you know, they let off a bunch of rockets and, and that's just the way things go. Um, and it was, un, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. And, um, you know, I know Israel's going to take the heat for that. And um, perhaps they did have a failure of intelligence. But, you know, you, you wouldn't want to be in, in, in an, an Israeli spy going into Gaza. I mean, you get caught and, you, you know, you're going to be in a, a rather amount of, large amount of pain and then death. So um, there's only so much you can do and Hamas took advantage of that. Um, they took advantage of the funding that they get. They took advantage of the, the, the Chinese communication systems that they use um, and they caused havoc and death and destruction and mayhem and murder. Well, you just have to go back to ancient Troy, don't you, to see the <laughs> misuse of uh, information or the secret information. Uh, with, the, with the Israelis going into Gaza, what can they do? I mean, they can't. Can they really identify who are harmless and who aren't? It, it will be a very difficult situation for them. Do, will they occupy the territory for an extensive period? What, what do you expect them to do? 
Well, I think if anybody can do this, it's the Israeli Defence Force. They are the world experts on dealing with terrorism, uh, dealing with Islamic Jihad and Hamas and Hezbollah. Um, So if anybody can do it, it's them. Um, They have to do it. So we've been talking about the sanctity and security and safety of Australia they are also a sovereign country and they have a responsibility to their citizens to ensure that this does not happen again, that terrorists do not behead their babies, that mm. terrorists do not slaughter innocent women and, and children and uh, teenagers at a outdoor concert and um, all of the nasty, uh, grossly disgusting anti-human things that these terrorists have done. And so they don't have a choice. They have to go in there. They have said to the citizens of Gaza City, go south. Now, they've been doing that for about four days. Now, it's only about, I think, the entire length of Gaza is about, I think, 70 miles. Uh, it could be less. Um, but in any case, it's it's not far. You could walk it. Um, so, you, you, you know, I would imagine that, uh, Israel will go into Gaza City um, and, you've, you know, if you're left in Gaza City after everything that has happened, after all of the warnings, you're more than likely a combatant um, and you will be dealt with as such and quite rightly so. Um, you know, I mean, you can't blame Israel for defending themselves. They have to do it. It is their responsibility to do it. Um, They cannot be held responsible if you're a leader in Israel for this happening again. What are you going to say to Australian citizens when their baby's heads get cut off again? Oh, sorry, we didn't deal with that last time. Um, No. So they've got to go in and do what they've got to do. They have given a lot of warning as we've said, a lot of warning. Um, and there's not much more you can do about it. You know, war isn't pretty, so you should be prepared for it. Well, it's a terrible situation, isn't it? And uh, the Israelis are quite remarkable in the way in which they have consistently maintained their position against enormous opposition. There was a time when uh, every country surrounding them was an enemy. I think Egypt is now neutral and perhaps Jordan to an extent. But even then they still have so many enemies, it is so difficult. Well, uh, Lincoln, it's been a very interesting session. Unfortunately, we've reached our time, our time limits, but I do want to thank you and uh, you're obviously very well informed and I think people will find this interview very interesting because you are richly informed, and not only in relation to defence matters, but to all these strategic issues which concern us. So thank you for devoting so much of your activities to the defence of Australia, which is so significant. Thank you. Thank you for having me, David. Real pleasure. Pleasure. Well, this is ADH. I'm David Flint, and the programme is Save the Nation, produced by Charlie. And uh, it's been a successful program. Thank you very much, and until next time.